I got 18 minutes. You think I can do it? Through Christ. <laughs> hey, weren't those great living testimonies of the power of Christ? Come on, let's go. That's why I want you to turn to Romans 6. Go ahead in your Bible, turn to Romans 6, because what we want to see uh, is the Bible and what it says about what just happened. And why I want to draw you to a particular part of the testimony, uh, which is what I was talking about, particularly when Ryan was being baptized, and how there is a change in your life. There is a difference when you have been placed into Christ uh, versus when you weren't in Christ, when you were living in what we call the BC, right, before Christ, right, when you were uh, living on your own in trust in yourself and not in, in Christ. What we see when you look at Romans 6 is the Apostle Paul is, is addressing the church in Rome, and he's talking about the grace of Christ. Right? We all need the grace of Christ, right? We need all of the grace of Christ because of who we are. We know that we were born in iniquity, right? as, as uh, the King David said, in, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. So it was like before I was born, I was sinful, I mean, that's what we have to understand uh, if we're at least going to understand Christian uh, doctrine. What the Bible teaches about our sin, we call it original sin, right? That from, we inherit it from Adam. He was the federal head, right? He was, he was the, our representative on earth. He fell. Therefore, everyone after him has been born into iniquity. And so uh, before Romans 6, Paul is addressing this. And he said, you know, just as in one man sin entered the world... Through one man, right, sin is now eradicated. That, that one man, that is Christ. And so he talks about the grace, the grace and the lavish love of Christ poured out on us. And he says, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful truth of, of the scriptures, right? That we understand there's no one outside the bounds of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why people can get in this baptistry, because there has already been an inward change in their life, because they were never outside of the possibility of Christ grabbing them and redeeming them. Right? That's the truth that we all live in. In this world, that whoever you are, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. You're never outside of the, the grace, the possibility of Christ clothing you in his righteousness. Right? We have to understand that. We have to sit there. Because if not, the rest of this is not going to help. And it's going to confuse and cloud your mind. And you're going to have a hard heart towards the word of God. Uh, and I don't want you to have that. Because you ought to see that, that no one's outside of the bounds of the grace of Christ. But here's something that happens, which is what you saw in every testimony here. And this is what Paul says. What shall we say then? Because all this grace is here, because we're, we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then Paul follows that up by saying this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. He's like, we, we aren't to sin more just because grace abounds. Right? There, there was a belief then and there's a belief now. Uh, this idea that says, uh, I, since I have the grace of Christ... Uh, the more sin I have, the more grace I get. Right? And that is a logical progression of the idea that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Right? I mean, isn't that logical? Uh, and we can all, most of us can, can at least see, yeah, okay, it may be logical, but it isn't right. I mean, we can all at least get to that point. Right? Do we understand that Paul 
uh, without hesitation says that we aren't to sin more just because grace abounds all the more. The point of that is there's no one outside of the bounds of the grace of God. There is no amount of sin that can out the grace that can be poured out on us in Christ. Right? There's nobody has sinned so much that God's grace couldn't uh, change their life. Right? That's what we have to understand. But there are people, and some of you might be in that group, that would still say something like, well, Christ forgave me for that. Well, uh, here, I know I'm doing this. I know I'm, I'm living with someone I shouldn't. We're, uh, we're, we're practicing some, some sexual things that we ought not to. Uh, I, I did that thing the other day, last week, last month, but, but Christ forgave me for that anyway. Uh, there's many of us that, that live in, in that kind of, of realm, and there are people even in the baptistry that had that same exact testimony. Well, uh, there is a long word. You can write it down because you may in- interact with this word throughout your faith, and it's the word antinomianism. Right, antinomianism. Write that down on, on your note sheet. Uh, because this is something that you'll have to, to grapple with in your own life as, in, as a Christian, especially where we grow up here in Texas. And I want to explain all that, but you just know there is a, a branch of this antinomianism uh, that actually was founded in Texas. And so we have it in a lot of our churches. It's this idea, antinomianism, anti, which means no, right? You don't understand anti. You, we use that word all the time. Anti, and then nomos, which means law, okay? And so uh, there's this belief that uh, in Christ there is no law, right? There, there is no, no law, no need for me to follow God's law. God's law has been fulfilled in Christ. I no longer, therefore, it doesn't apply to me no longer. And, and Paul's answer to this, even in the first century, was by no means. It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And I know he's, he's, he added some things into that. Right? By no means, how can we who died to sin live in sin? Uh, but I want to crystallize that statement uh, by reading it in another way. How can a person who is dead still live? Doesn't that crystallize it in your mind a little bit? Like, we're not, he, he's trying to draw your attention to something that we see every day. Uh, Kayla and I, my wife, we went up to California because a lot of us in here have a dear friend who, who is on his deathbed. Right? And we're going and we're mourning. Uh, at a loss that is coming. We're rejoicing right, at where he is going and how he is prepared and ready to go. But all, all the same, we are looking at his life when we're all there and we're around him because we know that when he does die, he will no longer still live. There's a complete difference in, in his existence and because he is no longer alive, at least physically, presently in our world. And, and Paul is drawing our same minds to that when it comes to sin. The the same concept right here. How can we who have died to sin still live in sin? Right? He's speaking against antinomianism. This idea that like just because we've been saved and the lavish grace of God has been poured out on us doesn't mean that the law doesn't apply to us anymore. It doesn't mean that the, the righteous commands of God don't apply to our lives. He's saying in another way. He's saying this, uh, the law, before I'm a Christian, is a mirror that lets me see my unrighteousness. Right? That's, what, that's what the law is. It serves two purposes. For the non-Christian, it's a mirror, and it says, I don't measure up to that, so I need Jesus. Right? For, the, for the Christian, the law is a beautiful representation of the perfect righteousness of God. It's a reflection of perfect creation. And it is the responsibility of every Christian to no longer live in sin, but live to righteousness. Not because law is no longer my enemy. It is the beauty that I look into. It is the one thing that I long for in eternity, because guess what's going to happen in eternity? Perfect law-keeping. Think about that. 
I think one of the problems in our world and our culture of antinomianism that all of us, too, when we hear the word law, there is strife and anger in our hearts when there should be love and adoration and a longing to be a law keeper of God and knowing that when I fail, the law has been fulfilled. But I should have the grief in my heart to say, but still, the law, I love the law. Right? I love the law because it is there to guide me. It, it let me understand that I needed Jesus, and every day it helps me understand that I need Jesus all the more, and that Jesus was all those things that I still can't be today. Do you see how the law becomes a beautiful mirror of both what I am not, and yet in Christ what I strive to be? Right? And so that's what Paul is saying. How can we who have died to sin still live in? Well, we can't. We, we absolutely we can't. Right? And, and Jesus says the same thing when it comes to abolishing the law. Right? We aren't antinomianists. We can never be. We're also not legalists. Right? And we have to understand, well, uh, well aren't, isn't that legalism? Like, it, but what is the definition of legalism? Do you know the definition of legalism? It, legalism, defined, is that I can earn something based on my righteousness. And I can be in right relationship with God based on my merits and my goodness. And that's antithetical to the gospel, isn't it? So we're neither antinomians or legalists. We're Christians. Right? And, and the Christian looks at the word of God and says, I want to abide by the word of God. And although I often fall short, I repent and I turn from that because I want to keep the laws of God. And although I understand that it's a mirror and I'm incapable of following the laws of God, it's still what I strive after. Not because I want to earn the favor of God. I have that in Christ. But because I want to uphold the beauty of the perfection of Christ in every way that I can. And when I fall short of that glory, I say, in Christ. In Christ, because I've been placed into him. It's not my righteousness, it's his righteousness. He's imputed it to me, and he's also given me his law that I would walk in it. Can I show you that? At least jot down this reference. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. And Jesus is saying this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Right? Shouldn't that fix it for, for all the antinomians in the world? Like, I did not come to abolish them. Jesus said, I did not come to get rid of the perfect law of God. I have come to fulfill it. That's what he says. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he says this in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's a little tick in, in the Greek, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the problem if I'm antinomian, right? If I believe that there's no law no, that no longer applies to me because I'm in Christ, what do I do when Jesus tells me that the law is not gone? That the law is actually expected in my life to keep it imperfectly, but to strive after holiness in Christ because I'm now endowed with the Holy Spirit and those things that I could not have apart from Christ, I now have in Christ. And part of that is to follow the beauty of the patterns of the righteousness that God has laid before me in his word. I ask you a question. Who made the law? Tell me, who made the law? God. Has God made all good things? Right? All good things come from God. The law is from God. Right? God loves his laws, doesn't he? Like God loves his law. How could I hate anything that God loves? Then God sent his son to fulfill that law, that we would be able to love God's laws, that we would no longer be condemned by them, 
but now we simply love abiding by them. Do you see that? That's the beauty of the two functions of the law of God. It convicts me, and outside of Christ I'm condemned by them, but in Christ I abide by them because I love them, and I love my Father, and I want to follow my Father. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Obey my law. I love the law. No law is not going to be abolished. I'm here to fulfill the law. And as Christians, we're here walking in the commandments of Christ. I simply put it this way. Uh, and before Christ, right, I continually pursued the world, my own ways, like my own laws, right? I was anti-law because I wanted to be a law of my own life. But in Christ, my desires, my objects, I, I now do something completely different. It's point number one on your outline. I continually pursue the gift of righteousness. I continually pursue the gift of righteousness. And it is a gift, and that's what I want us to see here. I want us to see that it's a gift because it's something that God has given us that guides our lives. And I know that when we look at it wrongly, we see it as a, as a list of do's and don'ts. But if we look at it as a pattern of life and as a map to our life, we see it as here's how God says we live our best life, right? People have taken that away, taken that and, and ran away with it, right? My best life. Your best life is in the patterns and the commands of the Lord. And I fall short of them. It no longer condemns me because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is for me a guide and a map. And through God's spirit, as he convicts me of sin and judgment and righteousness, I get to walk in his perfect laws. I think about it this way. I could not swim until I was nine. Anybody else? Am I the only one? I was old. Okay, some people were ashamedly raising their hands. All right, me too. All right, I was nine years old when I started learning how to swim. And I remember going to the lake, uh, and my dad uh, wanted me to come out into the lake. He, he said, come on, son, I'll take you out to the lake. And I said, no, dad, that's scary. All right, that's deep. There are things in that water that I cannot see, nor fathom, nor define, and I don't want any part of it. But he said, it's wonderful, it's refreshing, it's hot, it's 100,000 degrees in Texas, you need to come out here and cool down. And I said, no, Father, I'm not coming out there. And he says, I'll make you a deal. I'll come out there, you sit on my shoulders, and I'll take you out. And I said, you got a deal, okay? <laughs> you drive a hard bargain, but you got a deal. And so he comes up, I get on my dad's shoulders, and he takes me out into the lake, and I sit on my dad's shoulders, and I say, man, isn't this great? Everything he said was true about these things. Like, I loved it. I was refreshed. I was cool. I was spending time with my dad in the lake doing the thing that he loved, and I loved it because we both got to share in it together. In the same way, we look at the law on this side of grace, and we say, ooh, it's a lot. I can't measure up to that. I'm incapable of doing it. I can't do it. I can't measure up to it. But on the shoulders of Christ, and he takes me out into his great and beautiful laws, his perfect righteousness, and I wade out into the depths that I can't touch, but yet he takes me out there and he sustains me in them. And although I'm afraid, although I fall short, I get to rest in the righteousness and the commands of God, and I get to live by them. Do you see the beauty of that? On the shoulders of my Father, I can stand in the law, and I can stand in the righteousness, and I can love them and live by them. Although I may fail, I'm still right on the shoulders of my Father. And that is the beauty of the law of God in Christ. Hmm, come on. And this is why we look at this text and we say, okay, I can't keep singing. My life can no longer look like that because I look just a couple of more verses down in Romans 6, 12 and 13, right? just a few more verses down, it says this. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Right? This is the life of a Christian that I'm no longer letting sin reign in my mortal body to make me obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But here's the life of the Christian. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's the signifying of baptism, right? That I've died and I've been raised. And present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we ask, what part do I have in my faith? You are to present yourself to God as instruments of righteousness. Like, that is, is your job and your calling as a Christian is now I am to be purposed. I'm to be repurposed for the glory of God, for his good pleasure. And as I sit on the shoulders of my father, he would use me to do much great things. That's why we love the laws of God. Because if I want to be useful to God, I have to know God. And I have to walk with God. And I have to obey God because I need to be an instrument, a tool for righteousness. Anybody ever tried to, man, this speaks to me, okay? Anybody ever tried to do a project with the wrong tools? All right, it's the worst, isn't it? All right. In the same way, our, our goal is we want to be uh, beneficial to the kingdom of God, but we have to be a tool useful for the kingdom. And there is no tool more useless for the kingdom than somebody who professes to be Christian, but yet their life looks nothing like it. Right? That tool cannot be used for the Lord. We have to be useful tools and as God's instruments for righteousness. And I can be those things because I rest on the shoulders of Christ. You see what I'm saying? There is no legalism here, but there's also no antinomianism. Right? I'm not a legalist, and I'm not an antinomianist. I'm a disciple of Christ. Simply put, let me just put it this way, like Christ's righteousness in you will produce Christ-likeness through you. And that's what you have to understand, right? That it's Christ's righteousness in you that will produce Christ-likeness in you, okay? Whatever Christ is doing, if Christ is in you, he's going to produce something in you. We call them the fruits of the Spirit. And that's why I can look at my life and say, am I in Christ? Well, let's see. Does my life reflect those things? Look at the next few verses, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Well, remember that baptized means what? Placed into. So let's reread that text with the definition of the word baptism and watch it make a complete difference in the way that you understand the word, right? Let's, let's look at it with me, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been placed into Christ Jesus were placed into his death? Doesn't that make a lot more sense? Right now you're like... Oh, okay, that's what that means. Like, I have been, just like Christ has been placed into death, I have also, my body, my mortal body has been placed into death just like his. And it says in verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by being placed into his death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Doesn't that make so much more sense? That there is a responsibility for us in Christ, endowed with the Holy Spirit at salvation as a down payment of my eternity. That I am then to therefore walk in newness of life. See, at salvation, we have been placed into the death of Christ. 
and raised from death to life so that we can walk in the newness of life. That's, that's the beauty of being placed into Christ is I can no longer live the way I did before because I'm, I've died. I've died to those things. The beautiful thing about being dead is I'm no longer bound by sin. I'm no longer bound by the desires of my flesh. I am wholly given to in the spirit that God has given me in perfection, always obeying and following the laws of God. Can you imagine in eternity, everyone's going to be a perfect law follower? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine everybody following the law? How perfect it'll be. The glory. Imagine your neighbors are always mowing their lawn. <laughs> I'm guilty. <laughs> right. I mean, this thing about all your relationships, perfect, because everyone's obeying the law in Christ. Right? That's the beauty of it, that we should love those things because they are God's things. And with that, I just want to put it this way in your last point. Embrace the purpose of your new life. Right? If you have been placed into the death of Christ, you've been raised from the dead, from your f- sinful body, from your sinful life, and now you've been raised now to do something different, to walk in the newness of life. Not to continue walking in the old ways of life, but to walk in the newness of life. And if that's the case, then I need to embrace this purpose of my new life, that God's given me a purpose. I ought to live in it. Last, last scripture, I just want you to flip to it. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. We just went through Colossians a few months ago. We finished it up. So you should know this. You should have it memorized, right? Colossians 3, one, we'll start in verse 1. Here's what it says in Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Already, right? You've, been, you've died and you've been raised. It's already, you've been placed into Christ. You've been placed into his death. And you've been raised with him to walk in the newness of life. And here's, here's what the Christian life should look like, right? This is why the direction of God and the imperatives of the scripture are so important for us. It says this. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, because you've died to those things. You're now living to Christ. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's another good news of our being raised with Christ, is we also trust in the fact that just as Christ was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. And so now we eagerly wait for the coming of Christ, and that's another reason why we love to keep the law now. We love to keep the law now because we know Christ is coming back. And if we're the kingdom of God on earth, then our law keeping in Christ on his shoulders right, is a beautiful representation of our eager expectation for his return. You see how all this law keeping is out of love, not out of just straight obligation, not out of, uh, not out of just this disdain for, for humanity. Right? It's because we love the Lord and we're waiting for him to return. And what does it say? Now, look at verse 5. Right? This is all to the antinomians of the world. Right? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Right? This is our responsibility. It's an imperative. You need to kill these things. Right? All these things that are in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Now, it's evil passion. Right? Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's talking to the church, remember. Because he says in verse 7, In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. How many of us need to hear that this morning? No obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, you have died. You have put off the old self with its practices. There's something you've done when you've been placed into Christ. You are no longer dead in your sins, but you're alive to Christ. 
And now you've put on the new self. I love that. Verse 10, you put on the new self. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Look at this. Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, the promise of why we know that as we obey the laws of God and the commands of God, we're being renewed to be able to do those things. Legalism, it'd be telling a church full of non-Christians, obey the law. That's legalism. Right? It's legalism because no one outside of Christ can keep any of the laws of God. And to suggest that you ought to would be legalism because I'd be trying to tell you in some way upon your own merit and your goodness and of your law keeping, you can somehow merit salvation and merit righteousness in the sight of God. And we couldn't. That would be legalism. Right? To look at the family of God and say, put off these things and put on these things, that's called discipleship. That's called sanctification. And so what I do is I put on the new self, which is being renewed after the knowledge of the image of its creator. Then it says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's what we need to hear this morning in the church. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive and above all these, here's something else to put on as, as a believer, right? Which binds everything together. It says put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart because you were called to this in one body. And it says, then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And then go down to verse 17. Here's the purpose, right? You need to embrace your new purpose because if you have been raised with Christ, verse 1, then, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's the call and the purpose of your newness in Christ, is that if you have been raised with Christ, do everything in the name of Christ. Before it was this, do everything the way you want to do it. That's what our culture teaches, right? If it feels good, do it. If you think it's right, then it's right. The new creation, those who have been plunged into Christ, placed into him, we say, I'm going to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, therefore, sanctification looks like this. Whatever I'm doing, can I do it in the name of Jesus? And then secondly, not only can I do it in the name of Jesus, am I actually doing it in the name of Jesus? Not, hey, I can tell my mom and dad, and I can tell my friend, I can tell my spouse, yeah, 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 Jesus wouldn't mind. Are you doing it in the name of Jesus? Right. Is, is what you're pursuing right now for the explicit name and fame of Jesus Christ, or is it for you? And you can say, ah, oh, Jesus also likes this. Right. That's why it's important for us to love the Lord and embrace the purpose of your new life. Let's pray. God, as we close, let's just pray that there is in our own lives, in our hearts, like a great conviction uh, as we see baptism, uh, what it signifies it being placed into water, but what it is in reality of us being placed into Christ. And as we respond to the goodness of the gospel, that we turn from our sins, we place our trust in you, we then get to walk in the newness of life, and sin, therefore, has no dominion over us. Death has no sting. All those things, God, that in Christ Jesus have been bought and purchased and overruled that we get to, on your shoulders, love you, love your commands, walk in them. And although we would fail, God, we would continue in them out of the love that we have, out of you sustaining us, out of you conforming us into your image, out of your spirit, God, making us new every day. 
So God, help us live that out. I just pray, God, even if there's anyone in here that saw these baptisms and saw this sermon and realized the same thing that so many people do and say, I thought I was saved, but I'm, but I'm just not. I knew things about God. I knew the right things about God, but I never responded to the offer of the grace of God in Christ. I pray, God, that they would today uh, respond by turning from their sins, placing their trust in you, that you would impute your righteousness on them, clothe them in your righteousness, that they would no longer trust in themselves, but in you who have made a way for us to be brought in a right relationship with you. And I pray that, God, if there's anyone needs to talk to somebody, that we would encourage that, that we would welcome that this morning. We pray all those things in Christ's name. Amen.